like so that's that's a classic sort of story of of Dershowitz uh, and his willingness to kind of put any principle he alleges to have aside uh, simply to vindicate himself all over over the small things. Uh, and we now, you know, find him in the public eye, uh, unwilling to let anything go, trying to vindicate him, on, uh, vindicate himself on something a little bigger than just getting owned on Amy Goodman's radio show. Right? <laughs> <laughs> one, yeah, one might yeah. say that. I, I think yeah, posting his life, but you know. This is A-Lab, and you're joining me, Tarek, along with Andy and Tim on part two of our journey into the beautiful mind of the world's greatest attorney, Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz. Right, so it's no it's no secret. I mean, if you if you've been following anything with Alan Dershowitz, you know what's going on right now. That he is involved in litigation with Virginia Jufri. Virginia Jufri is one of Epstein's victims, Jeffrey Epstein's victims. Uh, she famously sued uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh, we, our first, our very first episode of this podcast is about uh, some documents that were unsealed from that lawsuit. And in the background of that lawsuit, and and going on until today is the conflict between Dershowitz and Virginia Jufri because because Jufri along with all of her other allegations alleges that Alan Dershowitz took part with was was Jeffrey Epstein's very good friend and took part in his uh, you know activities and his conspiracy to you know violate underage young women you know sexually assault and rape them uh, and that, and that he took part in it, that he that he had sex with underage women, that he knew about everything that was going on there, that he got massages, that he was frequently in the home when underage women were there. Uh, so, so Dershowitz, uh, to defend himself against this, has you know dragged her through the mud. He has a much bigger sort of public bullhorn and an ability to get himself onto you know all sorts of different news programs. Uh, he takes every single interview possible and he'll drag this lady through the mud and say she's a liar, say she's a, admit, he, say, he says she's an admitted prostitute. He says that uh, she doesn't know the difference between truth and facts uh, and he denies, he denies everything. Um, and then he sort of tries to bait and he says, my, my false accusers won't accuse me on Twitter. This is a tweet from him, but I will accuse them. I hereby accuse my false accusers of committing the felony of perjury and challenge them to sue me for defamation. They won't because they know the truth will land them in prison. So That's March that 2019. Yeah. yeah. March, <laughs> right. Then she sues so, him. Right? She sues him. Yeah. So at first I was like, well, good for her. And, you know, I guess that didn't work out, Dersh. But then he counterclaims, and it made me think, like, well, he was probably baiting her. Yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. I mean, it was clear that he was trying to to get her into a position where he can actually try to litigate these in court. Now, we'll see what his plan is now that it is in court, but... 
I don't know if he thought it through all the way. I, he must have some. I, I mean, probably to get a settlement or something, you know, and then, but I mean, clearly Jeffrey has shown herself to not be willing to do any of that. Well, at this point, what does she give a fuck? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I mean, they're going to kill her or they're not going to kill her. Yeah, I <laughs> guess. Like, yeah. What else are they going to do to her? <laughs> yeah. You know? And I don't, and if somebody's going to come murder her to silence them, it's not going to be this whiny prick. No. It's yeah. going to be some, also, some of the other people. It's a little fucking late. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it would be very absurd. Nobody should be concerned about being accused by Virginia Gouffre. She does not understand the difference between truth and lies. Nothing she says about anybody should be believed. If there's evidence, if there's corroboration, then people should be concerned. But just based on her word, no, nobody should believe a word she says. She's lied about everything. She has a history of lying, and she continues to lie, and she's a perjurer. But I've never seen a case where a prosecutor has relied on a witness with a long history of lying in similar situations about Al Gore, Tipa Gore, Bill Clinton, you name it. She also lied about her age. She said she was 14 when she met Epstein. She was over 17 when she met Epstein. My goal is to get her indicted for perjury. Remember, she committed perjury in the same trial that Ghislaine Maxwell committed perjury. Ghislaine Maxwell was prosecuted for perjury, and Gouffre should be prosecuted for perjury. She told the FBI she was 15 when she met Epstein. The records from Mar-a-Lago where she worked prove she was 17 when she met Epstein. I can tell you she is still a prostitute. She is selling false stories now for money about me. Do you have any concern calling her a prostitute when she was victimized at such a young age by this wealthy man? She was not victimized. She made her own decisions in life. And at the age of 15, some would say that's a little young and that she was taken advantage of. I'm talking about the age of 19. Look, that's between her and the federal government and the people that she claims victimized her. His claims now, uh, despite the fact that he invited the lawsuit, he counterclaimed for, you know, defamation. And he's saying that uh, she's lying and that it never happened and it's false. But he's also saying that these memories were implanted, that they were, she has sort of false memories and that the David, uh, the, the boy Schiller attorneys that were representing her. Um, you coached you her know, to bring these allegations. Right, right. They yeah. drew these out of her in order to vindicate personal uh, vendetta against Alan Dershowitz. So Which I think this whole conspiracy theory. Looking at the strategy, it's because he probably knows that they have whatever, you know, documentary evidence exists. I mean, namely her testimony, obviously. Uh, and he's hoping to completely torpedo her ability to testify or, or give any kind of information in court, I'm sure. It doesn't take David Boys implanting false memories in Jufre's mind to, or Jeffrey's mind, right, to, to, to put Epstein, or, uh, to put Dershowitz right in the middle of Lafayre Epstein, right? Like, yeah. no. no, Dershowitz no. has gotten himself involved in this for a long time, right? He was a big part of getting the prosecutor to, to get the NPA done, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. Dershowitz, so the reason, the reason all this is happening to him is that, you know, back in the mid-2000s, he gets involved in the case personally. Now, the allegations, you know, extend farther back than that, but 
Jersh has been friends with Jeffrey Epstein for a really long time. Uh, he's famously said that he'd be friends with Jeffrey even if he wasn't rich because I like the way his mind works. <laughs> In 2003, same year, he's, uh, he's fighting on Democracy Now! with Norman Finkelstein. Dersh uh, says, look, I'm on my 20th book now. The only person outside of my immediate family that I send drafts to is Jeffrey. <laughs> I mean, this is a close yeah. friend. This is an no, extremely yeah, he, tight friend. Right. It would be inconceivable that he didn't know what was going on. I mean, you know, if he was, even if he wasn't a participant somehow, he would have to be well aware of. I mean, after like Ghislaine, he's basically number three or four in, in Jeffrey's list. I mean, Donald Trump says, right? Like, Donald Trump is on record saying, look, right? He, he says from back then, yeah. he says, listen, yeah, I know Jeffrey, but I know Jeffrey. I mean, some people say he likes him young. I mean, like, really young. So Donald Trump knows what's going on, right? Right. right. So how does somebody who's close friends with him not know? Impossible. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, interesting to note, we talked about Finkelstein and Dershowitz coming up. As kids in working class Brooklyn. I mean, uh, Jeffrey Epstein's from Seagate, right? He's another working class uh, yeah. Jewish kid from Brooklyn. You know, yep. like these guys, uh, you know, like all kind of coming up, punching way, way above their weight class. I mean, I can see uh, why uh, Darsh and Epstein might, you know, get along. I mean, they're both sort of improbably in the places they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely. So so in the, in the Jeffrey v. Maxwell lawsuit, we have uh, – Epstein's housekeeper, Alfredo Rodriguez, he gives a lot of very damaging testimony. And but one of the things <laughs> that he says is that Dershowitz was staying over at Epstein's house all the time. Yeah, he 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 came he came there frequently and he was there at the same time that Epstein had underage girls in the home that he was molesting. Okay, well, so I mean what what Dersh wants everybody to believe is that he had no idea and that it was it must have happened on the other end of the house and then when they were hanging out those girls <laughs> went around and I don't know they were like sneaking them through you know the the special passageway between like like the house and clue or something I don't know I only uh you know I only ever went to the the island with my wife right right <laughs> you know now the, the New York uh, townhouse—that's uh, different, t- different topic. But yeah, my wife, my wife, right? I mean, he's never—he's never had some very good explanations for how all this lines up. No, but, I yeah, mean, yeah, I, yeah, and I and I think that's important because you know what's going to happen next is we'll talk about what happened with the actual investigation in in the mid two thousands. But I think it's important that if you're going to be friends with this kind of person, you're going to be blind or willfully blind uh, as to. I mean, the wide-ranging, long, uh, ongoing, like, pedophilia business he has going on, then eventually someone's going to associate you with that. And if you've been turning a blind eye to that for decades, you know, don't fucking cry later when somebody says you do, somebody suggests you (laughs) had something to do with it. Because you were at the house a dozen out of, like, the 40 times that we know for a fact it happened and also there are a bunch of other times like you're going to be associated with having done that behavior and what yeah, does sorry, it say Mark, about your powers you. of observation and deduction that right if i yeah. have to take you at your word that <laughs> a pedophile ring was being run out of this townhouse while you were admittedly there and you didn't notice yeah i, I think, uh, think it, it was I think, a fucking girl scout camp what the fuck do you think was going on there it's like I was saying, like, I mean, all of the, his arguments rest on these, like, tortured mental gymnastics and sophistry to kind of play out this technically correct version of events. But 
counter to just massive evidence like testimony from the housekeeper that he was there it's like it it can't hold up scrutiny to any rational human being looking at this did you ever see mr epstein with underage girls no oh no if i had ever seen jeffrey epstein in any inappropriate situation with an underage girl i would have terminated my relationship and turned him in no way so you're obviously surprised by the allegations we were shocked by the allegations, but as a criminal lawyer, being shocked by an allegation doesn't mean that I won't defend somebody. There are three phases in my relationship with Epstein. I first met him, I was introduced to him by Lady Rothschild, a very eminent, prominent woman who said he was a great intellectual and I should get to know him and I got to know him and I went to conferences, academic conferences with very, very prominent people. That stopped the day he was arrested. Phase two is I then had a professional relationship with him, I was his lawyer, and he paid me for every minute. We never had a minute together for which I was not paid. And then the case was over and our relationship ended. And that's not true of Prince Andrew. He maintained a relationship even after it was clear that Epstein had done terrible things. But I did not maintain that relationship afterward. And there's a distinction between people who did and people who didn't. A lot of prominent people maintained a relationship with Epstein well after it was known what he had done. Were there young women in another part of the house giving massages uh, when I wasn't around? I have no idea of that. I kept my um, uh, underwear on during uh, the massage. I don't like massages particularly. I, of course, I didn't know. I first met him through the Lady Rothschild, a very prominent woman. She told me he was very, very charitable to Harvard. Um, I went to the island with my wife and my daughter when it was not right. built up. He had just bought it. Um, I was at his home mostly when I was his lawyer. I was not a close personal friend. He lived his private life very privately. President of Harvard, the provost of Harvard, Nobel Prize winners all had the same kind of academic relationship with Epstein that I did. As soon as I found out that he was accused, my relationship with him totally changed. Well, but then in 2006, he then has reason to know that there's a problem. Yeah. Right? yeah. His friend Jeffrey <laughs> might be, you know, dabbling in a little bit of the uh, pedophilias. Uh, but uh, his, his response is not to take stock of what he knows as a factual witness or, you know, could I have seen anything or how could this have happened? His response is to get involved. Right. His response yeah. is to start <laughs> taking a check and represent his friend Jeff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So in in 2006, uh, all of a sudden, okay. So Epstein's being investigated by the local police uh, and by the state police, and uh, Epstein starts getting involved. He arranges a meeting with the state prosecutors who are working the Epstein case, and at this meeting, he's armed to the teeth with uh, this binder full of MySpace printouts. And public postings from MySpace and other sites. <laughs> from the victims. Yeah. From the victims' pages. And his idea yeah. <laughs> is that I'm going to show that these girls are little, stupid, druggy sluts, and you can't listen to them. So he says, just listen. That, just, just little little misdemeanant pieces of shit, you know, getting right? themselves into all <laughs> kinds of trouble. You know, yeah, they're not credible. Yeah. Yeah, look, this girl, this is a, she's talking with her friend. If you read this post, she's talking about smoking marijuana. Marijuana, and, and you're listening and to her when she alcohol. said she was raped. Yeah, and she's drinking alcohol. This one, this one calls herself. She goes by the name. Are you gonna? Will you believe this? Pimp yeah, juice. Sit down. 
Yeah. Pimp juice. Right? It's just like pimp juice. Are you honestly going to believe her when she <laughs> says that she was raped? Because she's called pimp juice. It's fucking ludicrous. It's a ludicrous big reveal from this shit. But he says, look, these are all like little criminals. None of them are credible, and you shouldn't be listening to this. You shouldn't even file charges. There's no, there's no way this should ever go to court. You shouldn't even file charges. Look, look, they're untrustworthy. Just imagine what it would feel like if your son, if your brother, if your uncle, if your daughter woke up one morning after living a complete life of, of, of probity uh, and, and, and was falsely accused by somebody. It can ruin their life. It can ruin their career. It can ruin their legacy. False accusations are very serious. The Me Too movement is very important and it should be taken very seriously. But as a great philosopher once said, every cause starts as a movement, then it becomes a business and ultimately a racket. And I don't want to see the great Me Too movement become a racket. Well, I'll give you an example. I can't speak anymore on college campuses. I've spoken on over 100 college campuses on behalf of Israel. But no college will now invite me because women and others will protest my being there. So my advocacy for Israel has suffered. Uh, and I'm fighting back not only on my own behalf, I'm fighting back on behalf of all the causes that I have defended over the last 60 years of my public life. I will not simply allow my life to be canceled by a false accusation. Yeah, now, again, we're talked a little bit about the fact that Dershowitz doesn't like when you, you know, smear people's characters. Uh, and, yeah, true. Uh, you know, try to try them without due process. Uh, yeah, I thought he didn't like that. This is a weird. This is a really interesting so, revelation. Yeah. He's trying know, to get so them out of their day in court, like literally. And, yeah. and I mean, it's not illegal or, or unethical, I don't think, really, to, to be, you know, representing Epstein and, and doing that stuff. But, like, it's not. If you're a prosecutor and somebody comes in with that, I mean, they're they're all psychopaths, so they're going to be like, oh, yeah, of course, sure, it's sex crime, not going to charge it because they're powerful. But, you know, if you're, let's say you're dealing with another lawyer, if you start doing stuff like this, like, they're going to be like, oh, you're like, your client's full of shit, huh? Look, I'll say, you know, I... I- I think when you say it's not ethical, you mean it doesn't violate the rules of professional. Right, that's what I mean. Yes, which, that's what I mean. Yeah, so yes. I agree with you, but uh, this is this is yeah. No, that yes, true. that's what I'm trying to actually to say is that right. this is just full character smear here of, yeah. of, of of young women who are saying that they were sexually abused, and all he's got is just like you smoked yeah. weed. Don't listen to him. Nobody who smoked weed can ever be believed about a rape accusation. That's his position. That's his legal position. He's also doing it completely outside of the process. Like he's not doing this, like submitting this evidence in front of a judge. No, he's, trying to, he's trying to subvert. He's just he's chat- to, yeah. yeah, he's trying to cajole prosecutors into just not doing their job. These people are on MySpace talking about weed. You should not investigate this crime. Uh, Mr. Due Process here is making those claims. Now, again, you know, we. I'm going to get myself in trouble one of these days on this podcast talking about defense lawyers uh (laughs) but you know this is classic defense lawyer bullshit when they're not sleeping through the trial you know like to come in and smear the rape victims and do all this stuff you know this is this is you know we we like to think that there may be some corners of the law where you know you can be a a white knight (laughs) or not get yourself too dirty but this is the real shit you know, and Mr. Everybody's entitled to due process, you know, is here trying to shut these things down uh, by dragging these teenagers 
uh, through the mud. Now, let me ask another question. Wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. I, hang on. I, I want to respond to what you just said. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's true that, like, it's considered a saintly sector of the legal profession to be, like, a defender, right? To be a public defender yeah. or something. But... Look, the title of the podcast is A Lab. I'm sorry, we're gonna kick not, you too. Not not S Lab. <laughs> yeah, you don't get to avoid it just by uh, by and choosing to no, wear the PD. And there's no way around it. What we're describing about what Dirsch does here, sorry. I mean, his access is unusual. His you know, yes. the crimes at stake and the, and the, and, the, and the the rich the rich defendant is unusual. But smearing yeah. and a the, rape and the PD is the last person that te- can. Ex- Smearing a rape victim in order to discredit her testimony with irrelevant shit like this—that is fucking bread and butter. Yeah, yeah, just the, totally the, different the, situation. The sexual assault victim is a uh, slimy, uh, you know, sex deviant. Uh, you know, that's 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 straight out of the playbook. Uh, that being said, though, I do have a question. He's a fact witness. Like, is yeah, he supposed I supposed to be representing. I, that's a good point. I don't. That's did he testify in the case? Did he testify like, in the well, case? Well, no, no. So, so he's a. At this point, I mean, if you follow his story, he's saying I'm not a fact witness to anything. I never saw any of this shit. I yeah, know that's a good point. Anything of this. Yeah, but I, I agree suppose with you, that's Tark, how he gets out of it. Yeah, you, that's a yeah. If you take Virginia <laughs> Jufri's account seriously, at the bottom of the charges, once he's convicted for all the other he's stuff, you should expect him to get disbarred. Many of these meetings, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not even, like, I think his getting involved here is part, you know, like, let me help my friend. Part, here's a high profile case, and part, oh fuck. Yeah, part, let me help me. I need to. Yeah, I need to help you bury this. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and, and I, th- I, I think that I think that uh, is an important point because. You know, it's not just the fact that he was friends and willfully blind with Jeffrey Epstein and present yeah. and all this stuff that was going on. All of a sudden, an investigation comes in and you know, he looks real right. antsy. Right, and I think even if somehow he did not do any of this stuff, there's going to come to light something very damaging of what he was doing the whole time that this was going on. Because he was probably, if he wasn't doing it, he was he had to have been intimately involved in either laundering the money or, you know, doing something like that, you know, but I mean, he probably was just sleeping with little girls, you know, to tie, to tie, (laughs) (laughs) to to tie these two cases together here. There's something that Norman Finkelstein, you know, that one of the famous videos uh, between Norman Finkelstein and Alan Dershowitz is when uh, Finkelstein runs into him in a restaurant and just like dresses him down uh, about some of the things that he said and some of the things he's done. Right. After he's so, completely ruined his career. <laughs> right. So so one of the ways that he tees it up is he says, like, I can't let you off the hook. Uh, I know where you're from. I know what you had to do to get where you are. And it, it, that doesn't happen by accident. You have an intellectual firepower. You did at one point. You know, maybe the celebrities boiled your brain off or something. But at some point, you were a smart person and you knew what you were doing. And so... I have to take that piece. I, I think he has to be right about that, and say that it's fair to hold him responsible. If his, even Absolutely. if his story is true, that he had no idea what was going on here, why the fuck not? Right? Why? Why? How could you possibly not know unless you were willfully blind to this shit? Yeah. Well, and then why? And then why get involved trying to t- trying to fucking torpedo the prosecution once your right. friend is found out? Why or hire keep going on eyes? now? Yeah. 
why hire oh, private yeah, eyes? Oh, yeah, talk about that. You know, like to run around uh, uh, pulling up dirt yeah. on the victims of Epstein. Yeah, once, once right? that didn't work, he decided, well, the thing I need is more dirt. Yeah, so simultaneously so- with... Simultaneously with the binder meeting where he shows up with the MySpace printouts, he's got these guys running around, these these guys in South Florida, Riley and Corrali, and, and these guys, they go around tracking down former victims of Epstein, and the ostensible goal is that they're going to get their statement and ask them, you know, you know, get get their yeah. words on the record, you know, get get them get their fresh testimony and and see if there there isn't anything that you can't, you know, record for later use. Uh, but what they're basically doing and what they're effectively doing is rattling the cage. Because mm-hmm. they show up. Anything they get can be useful. But essentially, you send out these two thuggy-looking ex-cop guys. All right, They bang on the door. And then they say, uh, and we know what they say because Dershowitz writes a letter that eventually includes a transcript uh, of one of their meetings. Uh, they say, uh, yeah, we're, we represent, we work for uh, Mr. Jeffrey Epstein. And we just wanted to talk to you uh, about your experiences with him, <laughs> right? They're knocking on a victim's door. Yeah. How do you think that goes? But they're also but they're also obfuscating who they are in some cases, right? Like they're leading people to believe that they're cops. Is that right? I mean, am I reading this correctly? Well, well, so that that's what happened in so at the binder meeting with the MySpace pages. The prosecutor says, "Yeah, yeah, that's all real interesting and everything." I have another problem, and the problem is that the local sheriff says that. You got investigate. You got private eyes going around, not you know, knocking on these girls' doors. She says that a cop, a local, you know, Palm Beach County sheriff uh, deputy, was out here dressing her down about this shit. You, are your guys <laughs> saying that they're cops because they're not ours? And then you know, Dershowitz is like, "Oh, I'm very disturbed by this. This is uh, this is concerning because he wasn't not supposed to be doing that." And so he sends this long letter. So so it's unclear if they actually represented that they were cops. They probably did. Well, of course uh, yeah. they did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm not I'm not afraid uh, of being sued by Alan Dershowitz in large part because I know he won't Famous last to words. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, of course he sent them out to, 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 to throw their weight around and allow people to believe that they were police officers because that's exactly what these people pull. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll say this. That you is, can that fairly is, draw that conclusion from this letter he puts together. Mm-hmm. The letter from Dershowitz to the police, uh, to the prosecutor? Yeah, because what he's he, he, he right the letter that Dershowitz writes to the prosecutor saying, "Hey, you said something that was really disturbing to me, and I wanted to provide this letter. This letter includes a transcript of when. Listen, based on the facts that you said, I think the woman that that made this allegation must have been when it's redacted. <laughs> yeah, how did he been, know of all the people they talked to? <laughs> right, which one exactly. thought that they <laughs> yeah. were cops? <laughs> That's very funny. That's very funny. Yeah, so he says, I think it was that person. And so here is the transcript, and you'll see, and he says some really fucked up shit here. He says, uh, they never got the chance to ask even a single question and could not for a mo- and could not for a moment be thought of as attempting to represent themselves as police officers. In fact, even though they are both well-prepared and seasoned investigators, they were quite shocked at the overwhelming <laughs> nonstop barrage of profanity being hurled at them at a furious pace and volume from what initially appeared to only be a young woman of slight build and soft demeanor. Can I just <laughs> say, having, having read the transcript that Dershowitz produces in part uh, from the young woman to the two cops... Uh, that Dershowitz had, had sent over to her place, who were you know, obviously not cops, but working for Epstein. Um, she did a great job. 
She fucking yeah. did fantastic. Well, yeah, she, she knew exactly what to say. She also wasn't at all uh, intimidated by them. <laughs> oh, man. She's like, I don't talk to fucking cops. I'm not talking to you. Get the fuck off my property. I don't talk to cops. You know, get the fuck yep. out of here. You know, that's the way, uh, you know, maybe now in these sorts of times, I don't want to say A-Lab advised you to, 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 to spit a stream of profanities at cops, but absolutely do not talk to people that either are pretending to be or may actually be police officers. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to. Don't be cooperative with these people. They're not your friends. They're not going to help you. Anything you say is not going to help you. Uh, with them uh to this woman whose name is redacted from this letter bravo who did a great yeah. job i mean th- th- their transcript starts with hi my name is bill riley I-, I handed her my business card and this is my partner steve corrali we're investigators from miami working on behalf of jeffrey epstein now now what's incredible about this whole letter in this transcript is that these guys open up with we're investigators working on behalf of jeffrey epstein and Dershowitz's claim here is to be completely shocked by the nonstop barrage of yeah. profanity. Now, if you just take the story at face value, look what she yeah. does here doesn't discredit her claim. It's incre- it's very credible <laughs> yeah. response when your sex abusers <laughs> exactly. employees show up at your door knocking and saying, "Hey, can we talk to you for a second to fly off the fucking handle?" Now, 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 sex abuse victims don't always react in the same way and stuff, but this is a very recognizable, reasonable reaction. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean. The, the idea that that she's lying because she doesn't want to talk to people that are in the employ of Jeffrey Epstein is like one of Who the may most or under- may not be police it's fucking incredible right. yeah it's it's one of the most understandable things yeah it's a re- it's a weird letter on that in that regard like he's clearly just trying to smear her but it doesn't yeah to me to me the letter just makes me think like oh this person was definitely abused like that yeah that seems that seems very credible well but I mean I think what he's Either he knows that this is the person that they pretended to be a cop to or allowed there to be uh, some misunderstanding. Or he is taking the opportunity to write to the DA or the AUSA or whoever the fuck he's talking to here. Uh, uh, This is a cop, literally. He's writing to the police department um, and saying, look at this person saying, I don't talk to fucking cops. I hate fucking cops. You know, get the oh, fuck off my property. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, you know? that's got it. He's doing something like that, yeah. You know, like he's he's just You're sliming the entire right. sort of... Yeah, that's 100% what he's doing. You know, like, like let me show one of Epstein's God, victims doing some ACAB shit. shit. Yep. You know, and let me give you all this shit she said about cops, Mr. Sheriff, and maybe <laughs> now you'll see things in my client's uh, light. Uh, yeah, and I think that's what's going on here. Yeah, and and to bolster that, now that I understand your point, he really is using like characterizations there to play off, you know, uh, sexist kind of tropes that you know yeah, linger that, in the yeah. minds of, of men everywhere, right? Like he says, uh, right. Even though they're both well prepared and seasoned investigators, they're so sh- they're shocked at the overwhelming nonstop barrage of profanity coming from this this little small girl of slight build and soft demeanor. How come she's allowed to use cuss words? This is you can't trust a person like that. Right, a girl. I mean th- that a cuss that word? bit specifically sounds like they shot and killed her, and he's trying to defend him on self defense. <laughs> um, she's acting like a goddamn war here, Mister Mister Sheriff. You know. I think the police stuff is a hundred percent spot on, but he's also just making her look like a dumb bitch. Basically, like that's what he's that's what he's also saying with this letter is like, hey, look, this, this dumb bitch is a dumb bitch. Like you don't need to, to listen right. to her no matter what she says. 
I think she comes off great, though. Yeah, I mean, she does, but... Yeah, she absolutely does, but I think, you know... He's he's using that as a gambit, so that when he when he plants that seed in some other way, because he's gonna throw everything, you know, or that was his plan was to throw everything at this. Like it's it's so that it sticks because there was already all this shit on the on the prosecutor beforehand. Ultimately, state charges are not filed. Now that obviously has a lot to do with the federal non prosecution. Uh huh. But you know, he has to be seen as having some hand in delaying justice here. And in uh, and in preventing char- state charges from being filed, and this is Dersh the bully, yeah. right? Yeah. After after yeah. allegedly participating in the rape and abuse of underage girls with his good friend Jeffrey Epstein and hanging out at the house in the pool while all this is going on, knowing about it maybe tolerating it, he comes in as this like celebrity uh, cavalry uh, to just crush victims by smearing them before the prosecution even gets started. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, you see how it works is that, you know, the, the prosecutor's office is now, you know, they have to deal with Dershowitz and then you simultaneously right. have to deal with his hired goons coming over to, to bother you. And it's like, you know, he, you, you see all the levels in which everything can just go away if you let Dershowitz guess what he wants. So this right. is this is 2006 just that he's he's engaging in these shenanigans. Right. Um, the 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 Epstein stuff continues, doesn't it? I mean, like Epstein doesn't stop in two thousand six, uh, as far as I can tell. Um, no, like we talked so, about in our last episode. You know, once he once he, you know, he continued on with uh, J P Morgan financing the whole operation, sending money to the whole team. They were they yeah. you know, sending money to mm-hmm. you know young <laughs> Eastern European women, and then that continued on with Deutsche Bank later, all the way up until he's arrested. Yep. One might claim, you know, that Dershowitz had a hand in enabling this criminal enterprise for another uh, decade and a half, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, one might claim that. I don't <laughs> so know if again, we are claiming that. So, again, it's Actually, fair. we are claiming that. Yeah, we are. So, it's, <laughs> it's fair to say, even even without, like, even without accusing him or, or passing on what Virginia Jufri is saying, you know, the active participation in, in like, pedophilia or something— it's fair to it's fair to hold him responsible for this shit and say like you deserve to be smeared with this. What the fuck are you doing? Uh yeah, exactly. And so now some small measure of justice is finally being meted out, right? Like Virginia Jeffrey has a successful lawsuit, you know, we at least settled against uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. Jeffrey Epstein is uh uh quote commits suicide in jail. Um and 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 other people are being charged like Ghislaine Maxwell. Uh but he cannot resist wading in and suing everybody and whining about the damage to his reputation. My reputation is more important than anything. Uh, and, and yeah, it is at stake, right? I mean, uh, he's right. clearly being accused of some really nefarious <laughs> shit here. Yeah, but and like, even, if, even if the case doesn't go through, like that would be the worst thing for him was just to have – well, probably the second worst thing, I guess, other than going to jail. Uh, <laughs> but to have that testimony just be out there and, you know – let every letting everybody make their own conclusion. Like who in their right mind isn't going to make the conclusion that is as damning to him as as could possibly be? Obviously, there's a lot of talk about this being a result of Mr. Epstein's wealth and power. Do you think anyone else would have gotten this sort of deal? Oh, I think a lot of people without the power and wealth might have gotten a better deal. His prominence, his fame, made it clear that the prosecution would worked very hard to get the best possible deal they could. Look, wealth is a two-edged sword. 
it helps you put together a very good legal team, but it also puts you in the public eye in a way that makes the prosecution work very hard. But this deal to was get kept very much under the wraps. I had nothing to do with that sure, right. part of it. But legal, ethical, you'd go back and make the same deal and you think it, it was all squared away. I would try to get a better deal. I chose to become a defense attorney because I like to defend the underdog. And I don't like supporting the government. I like challenging the government. Man, I hope one day I can look at over a hundred accusers and someone worth hundreds of millions of dollars and see that the rich pedophile is the underdog. I don't allow my personal interests and values to intrude on my professional life. I think of myself like a doctor or a priest. If they wheel somebody, Jeffrey Epstein, into the emergency ward, the doctor's going to take care of him. If he goes to his rabbi and says, I want to make a, a confession, the rabbi's going to say, yes, and I want to help you. And I know that about you. You're sort of a true defense attorney in the sense that you defend the rule of law. Right. As opposed to, you defend the process as opposed to the person. So the thing is that I really like Alan Dershowitz, and I think he's a great guy. You guys, <laughs> yeah, you guys me too. Give him too. I think you guys give him a hard time. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I, I make sure to, to let him do everything that he wants to do. Um, I just want to make it clear. Um, everything we like, – we didn't even read this outline uh, until we started to record. This was all written by Julius. <laughs> uh, so any, yeah. any we were yeah. just reading it's, off it's, of it's, a script given to us by Julius. He uh he <laughs> also he also did assume liability. Uh yeah. we have a signed contract where he assumes liability yeah. for anything yeah. specifically on at the bottom here. Yeah. He's wa- he's waived he's waived his right to to bring a class action uh yeah. and must yeah. portray, must must uh, proceed in arbitration <laughs> uh and uh has waived any uh, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but Dershowitz is like the, as we said, he's the platonic ideal of a lawyer because I mean, he represents kind of what, what is literally enshrined as one of the most, uh, important ethics, uh, in the legal profession and representing people, which is that of, of what used to be called zealous representation and is now called diligence. They literally had to move away from the concept of zealous representation, uh, because too many lawyers were using the word zealous. Taking it to way too kids. literally. Yeah. <laughs> using their discretion on what counts as ethical behavior. Um, Wait, is that true? I, it's what I've heard. I heard somebody say that. I, sh- I, sh- I don't know. I mean, it might be in the, it might be in the it. rules of professional. Yeah, it's one of those things that I heard that. I'm like, I yeah, mean, that's, when a society that's true. of people decides to govern themselves, to, decide to change the rules by which they govern themselves, and it goes from zealous to diligence, I mean. Yeah, I mean, you could read it. You don't need it, anything regardless. else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's important to note that Dershowitz is not an accident. He's not as, you know, he's not an aberration. He's, he's a making of the legal professions of the, of the legal professions making. He's, he's, he's their product because, you know, you can't get in trouble for doing what Dershowitz did, but you can get in trouble for not doing it. If your case would have hinged on that, you know, I mean, I would be hard to see somebody lose their license over, not being Alan Dershowitz, but theoretically, at least as the you know the, the rules were read back then, and you know kind of still continue to be with diligence, you know you could be in trouble for not being Alan Dershowitz. You're mandated by the profession to do this. He's American law made flesh. Yes, uh, right, and and American like we law said, golem. and like we said at the top, you know the the two cases that we talk about are bookend examples of Alan Dershowitz as a bully and Alan Dershowitz and as a as a zealous advocate in one case for uh well I guess in both cases for himself but um <laughs> yeah. but 
you know, uh, trying people in the court of public opinion and just and just pulling out all the stops uh, in, in order to get his way. But those are just those two cases are just samples. Just just like Alan Dershowitz is a sample legal profession. Those two cases are just samples of his entire career. He does he does this kind of shit all the time. Um, I, I was tweeting about this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you guys ever saw this, but uh, Dersh, one of his famous cases that he represented Klaus von Bülow. Did you guys uh, look into that? Yeah, I, I'm aware of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the who guy who is. killed yes. Glenn Close. I mean, Same that's right. why yeah. that's why OJ hired him. Yeah, so, if I recall so correctly, was his his defense in the Klaus von Bülow case. Right, so he uh, he's defending Klaus von Bülow, who is charged with attempted murder because his wife went into a coma from what appears to be an insulin overdose, uh, and she never she never actually died. I mean, she you know she eventually did die, but she didn't die from that. Uh, she was uh, put in a vegetative state in a coma, and so this guy's on trial for it. And Dersh, uh, you know, to his credit, get, wins the appeal, uh, gets the trial verdict reversed, and then Klaus von Bülow wins the retrial. Um, but he writes a book on this. He makes plenty of money on both the book and the movie. But what's one thing that's really interesting in this, that I, we won't go through the whole case, obviously. I think we've been talking for a while. But uh, the movie uses this narrative device that's really incredible, which is that Klaus von Bülow's wife, Sonny, the one who goes into the coma, is played by Glenn Close. And you, you, never, you don't really see too much of her acting. You just see, like, medical procedures being performed to her, and you see her, you know, laying in the... Uh, laying in the hospital bed uh, in a coma and you see like a couple of times you know of her pre-coma state you know her like uh being really sick or maybe taking drugs and stuff but essentially the whole uh the, the narrative device in in the movie is that glenn close speaks in this like ethereal tone in ways that are just extremely damaging to the character of sunny von Bruch. she's just like i was so unhappy and miserable and i tortured myself day in and day out and uh it would become a a a great mystery as to whether uh you know i was i was in a coma or whether i was i was merely sleeping um and so you 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 find all these words all these defensive words that are pre-characterized by dershowitz put into the mouth of essentially a murder victim of the victim yeah Yeah. of the fucking victim (laughs) <laughs> so so he he does this all the time this is this is this woman is in the, 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 this this woman is in her grave at this point right uh, well, exactly. actually, she, she was in the hospital yeah. she was in a she vegetative in coma, in a coma when the movie came out like yes and they are they are making her out to be some fucking drunken fucking lunatic right uh, banana know. peeled onto some insulin basically because <laughs> she was sad <laughs> right um I think in also a movie starring Glenn Close. Importantly, and very key to this too, just to just to show how this is linked to the legal profession. I don't think Dershowitz and Klaus Bambula knew each other at all. Like he did this as an actual lawyer. Like this was his normal yeah. case. You know, this isn't. You know, it would be one thing. I wouldn't call it's it excusable, but office. right. You know, for Jeffrey Epstein, obviously he has a, a deep personal vested interest yeah vested interest in 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 doing that and you would you know one would think oh maybe he's just doing that because he has a vested interest no this right, is right, this right. is how he wins his cases this is what he does yeah. this is his bread and butter is doing yeah, he's just stuff. shitting on she's just sit, shitting on sunny uh, von bulo for fun yeah and right. and this is the bread and butter of all sorts of lawyers you know um I mean, one one case. I don't know if we want to bring this one up because I don't know if we're going to ever do a uh, an episode on it. But Steve Donziger, obviously, like he, the lawyers against him that that Chevron hired, 
you know, they're doing the same thing. They're they're trying to smear Donziger and they're getting this judge to go along with it to uh to to basically put him in home prison forever. Uh and part of what they're doing is just saying he's a bad lawyer. Like, you know, this is this is part of the legal profession. And you know, I mean it's the same thing he pulled with the with the Goldman and uh Nicole Brown Simpson. Yeah, right? exactly. I mean yeah. He's the major contributor of the notion that they were given Colombian neckties by the fucking cocaine mob. Right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that was his uh, to hear the to hear the retelling. That was his big brain brainchild. It's like let's just smear these people as you know insane druggies. You know, caught up in some uh, some some nefarious scheme with Colombian uh, drug dealers uh, to the jury and in the press. Right, so, mm-hmm. so right, like he uh, an, another case. He he represented Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson was convicted of rape, and the victim Desiree Washington. You know what's what's his move there? He's what's call her slut, right? Like he yeah. he, yep. say, he says she consented. She consented. Now she's charging him with rape, and and and, and Dershowitz's allegation is she wanted it, uh, and yeah. and the appeal there is all based on. Uh, exclusion of evidence so he he was he was handling mike tyson's appeal and he's challenging the conviction because the judge excluded certain evidence and the evidence that was excluded was that there were some witnesses who said that they saw mike tyson with a woman on the night of the fight and then they saw her they saw him embracing with a woman in a limousine and then they saw him like arm in arm with a woman uh none of the witnesses appear to identify the woman as the victim and so the judge excludes it as irrelevant like what do you want us what do you mean? How is yeah. this evidence that she can? Yeah. she consented that he had to any sex at all? You got to close the fucking loop here if you want this to work. Uh, he lost that appeal. That that he he cites that as his as his greatest failure. But the hopelessness of that case does not stop him from trashing her in every publication. Years later, uh, as a liar. No, no. I mean he he it was his, he failed uh, to exonerate Tyson, but he succeeded uh, in tarring her. You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, He's never let wins. that go. Yeah, you know. exactly. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. The worst. Uh, it's the worst case of injustice mm-hmm. I've experienced in my uh, career. Mike Tyson was a great boxer. He was the world champion, and he had access to women whenever he wanted them. Women were sending him tapes. Uh, auditioning for him, throwing themselves at him. And he went to the Miss Black America contest in Indiana, and this young woman sat down on his lap mm. and invited him to go out with her. And, and he called her at 3 o'clock in the morning. You don't call somebody at 3 o'clock in the morning to go to the movies. There are no movies at 3 o'clock in the morning. And she willingly went with him to his hotel room, uh, there was a bathroom she went into. It had a lock and a telephone. If she didn't like what she saw, she could have locked herself in the bathroom, called operator, police would have been there in 30 seconds. No. She had sex with him. She was on top. She could have left at any time. And she left. She then found out that her father was coming to town. And she had had a previous experience some years ago. She had had sex with the quarterback of the football team. And her father found out about it. And her father said, why did you have sex with him? I'm going to beat you up. And she said, he raped me. She made it up. And so the father said, we're going to call the police if he raped you. And finally she said, no, 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 he didn't rape me. So she was terrified that her father would beat her up if she found out he had sex with Mike Tyson. So she said again, he raped me. It worked the first time. So she 
did it the second time. And Mike Tyson went to jail for a crime that didn't occur. There was no crime. So there's a story about Abraham Lincoln uh, that I think is relevant, at, at least to as a lens through which to understand this kind of zealous representation point and the degree to which it could kind of debase uh, lawyers and perhaps the legal profession. And so about 25 years after Lincoln was assassinated, you know, the, the real legendary status is starting to accrete, the same way it did with, uh, you know, who we think of as the founding fathers. Now you can read Supreme Court opinions from, you know, just a couple decades after they pass, and they're already you know, spoken of in, you know, vaunted, uh, hallowed terms. And that, that same kind of thing is happening with Abraham Lincoln uh, a few decades after he's assassinated. And at that time, uh, in the late 1880s, his law partner uh, was putting together a biography of Lincoln. And he was, you know, soliciting material from all sorts of people, you know, to try to preserve it before it got lost. Do you remember yeah. anything about him, you know, anecdotes, any, any, any stories that we should know? And one guy <clears throat> writes him, one of their old law partners writes him and says, yeah, so I remember one. I was in your office, and you recall you had that big table in the middle of your office, and Lincoln's sitting at one end. And there's a young man, uh, well-dressed, sitting next to him, and he's, you know, sort of hunched over, speaking in hushed tones, uh, very forcefully, you know, saying whatever he was saying to Lincoln. And at length, Lincoln breaks in uh, and says, yes, 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 we can doubtless gain your case for you. I'm sure that we can set an entire neighborhood at loggerheads and distress a young widowed mother and her six fatherless children uh, and thereby get for you $600 to which uh, you seem to have some claim. But which it seems to me... (laughs) So, which it seems to me belongs as much to the woman and her children as it does to you. He says... We're not going to take your case, but I will give you a piece of advice, and I won't charge you for it. You seem like a sprightly, energetic young guy. Why don't you try making $600 some other way? (laughs) So to me, that story kind of speaks to this idea that you don't have to take every client. Your integrity is going to be affected. You cannot just use... You know, there's there's this interview with Alan Dershowitz on The View where he talks about uh, his profession. I think I shared it with you guys a couple of days ago. Yeah. He talks about his position in the profession, and, and, and the, the interviewer, to her credit, is really sticking it to him, you know, and saying, like, but you, you represent some really awful people. And he says, listen, I don't think about the people that I'm representing. I see myself like a doctor or a priest, okay? If, if, if a really evil person comes in to see a doctor, he's just going to treat the condition. He's not going to think about who the guy is or whatever. Uh, and I think that that is utter horseshit. And I think that the more right. proper lens is, is, the one, is the one we see from the Lincoln story. Well, and in fact, you know, I think she then lets him off the hook and says, well, I guess that's right. You know, you're a defender of the process, not the person. But that's not the case at all. This guy has (laughs) deliberately gone out and chosen the wealthy, the famous, the controversial, the newsworthy, uh, and put their interests above the process at every fucking turn. From Epstein... Uh, trying to deny these girls the, you know, even the opportunity to have a fucking, un, you know, unpoisoned dialogue with the sheriff, uh, to Trump 
and these notions that you know like he he needs this uh, impassioned uh, uh, constitutional defense like the the process is nothing but something to subvert uh and to game on behalf of the individual and i don't even think dershowitz in his conception of ethical lawyering would disagree with that my client is above everything my client's interests are above that yep. of the state, above that of these victims, above that of, you know, like that this this individual is the person that matters the most. And in a client-centric representational model, I suppose that's true. But in this case, Dershowitz has sought out only the most venal, you know, uh, only the most capitalized, only the most controversial, only the most... Uh, whoever is going to fit into the narrative of Dershowitz as defender of these things uh, such that he can get on the next fucking local news interview and get the shit kicked out of him by some random academic from DePaul. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I, I, I hope to listeners it's, it's, it's clear that what we've tried to show you here uh, by going through you know these two cases and then a bunch of his other cases and just talking about him generally, that that amoral, uh, zealous approach you know, the result is a fucking trail of bodies and a bunch of free rich people. Yeah. Yeah, Dershowitz probably lives a comfortable life, but I would never want to be Dershowitz. I would never want to have to wake up in the morning and scream about how I had sex with my wife and no one else for the 500th local media production <laughs> area and then just get called a child rapist all day on Twitter <laughs> and look at it. Get barred from my, my favorite nude beach in the Hamptons. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough stuff, man. <laughs> it's tough stuff. <laughs>